So when we asked the veterans in these interviews about the primary source of health care, we had about 52% of them who self-reported that they only use the VA. And uh, about 21% reported using a private sector SKIMS uh, site. About uh, just over a quarter reporting that they use both VA and private sector for their SCI care. Welcome to this 2019 Kessler Foundation Spinal Cord Injury Grand Rounds podcast featuring Dr. Denise Fife, Senior Research Scientist at Kessler Foundation, Dr. Carol Gibson-Gill, Chief of Spinal Cord Injury Disorder Service and Director of the ALS Program at the Veterans Affairs New Jersey Healthcare System, and Joyce Williams, SCI Coordinator, also of the Veterans Affairs New Jersey Healthcare System, presenting Best of Both Worlds, establishing fruitful partnerships between VA SCI centers and SCI model system centers. This presentation was recorded, produced, and edited by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, on Thursday, October 24, 2019, at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey. It was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Spinal Cord Injury System, which is supported by a grant from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. Nidler Grant Number 90SI5026. Nidler is a center within the Administration for Community Living, Department of Health and Human Services. Be sure and listen to all of our SCI Grand Rounds podcasts by clicking on the link within the program notes. Listen in as Dr. Jean Zanka, Senior Research Scientist at Kessler Foundation, welcomes our guests. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming to our Grand Rounds presentation today. My name is Jean Zanka. As many of you know, I'm a senior research scientist in spinal cord injury research at Kessler Foundation. And I'm so pleased that you've joined us today for our SCI Grand Rounds presentation. Also, our next Grand Rounds presentation will be on Thursday, November 21st, same time, same place. The topic of that talk will be special needs trusts for people with spinal cord injury. So this is a little bit of a different topic than we typically talk about for our Grand Rounds. But the idea is to give attention to various things that healthcare practitioners and other supporters of people with disabilities can do to enhance their quality of life and ability to participate in the community. And this talk will discuss different financial vehicles that exist to help protect financial resources so that people can maintain their benefits but also have resources available to them for for other needs, whether they're recreational or career-oriented or other. So we'll hear more about that next week. But today, I'm very pleased to be joined by three presenters. These include Dr. Denise Fife, who's a senior research scientist at Kessler Foundation in spinal cord injury research, and her work is focused on reducing disparities in care and quality of life among underserved populations in the rehabilitation community. We're also joined by Dr. Carol Gibson-Gill, who's chief of service for spinal cord injury and disorders at the VA New Jersey Healthcare System and directs not only SCI, but the multiple sclerosis and ALS programs there and has provided comprehensive care for more than 24 years to individuals with spinal cord disorders of various kinds. And we're also joined by Ms. Joyce Williams, who serves as the coordinator for the spinal cord injury and disorders service at the East Orange VA and who has provided services for more than 10 years to individuals with spinal cord injury and other disorders, as well as their families. And I've had the pleasure of collaborating with all three of these researchers in in the recent past, and I'm hopeful that today's discussion can be helpful in uh, making connections between the civilian and veteran rehabilitation communities. So with that, I welcome our speakers today. 
Thank you. Thank you, Jean. Good afternoon. Thanks, Jean, for the introduction. So today we're going to be talking to you a little bit about a project that um, uh, we've been working on for the past few years, uh, and this is one of our, uh, yeah, okay. Um, and this, uh, the, the topic is Best of Both Worlds, Establishing Fruitful par uh, Partnerships Between VASCI slash D and uh, SCI Model Systems Centers. Uh, just... Uh, we have to just do some housekeeping initially first, right? We don't have anything to disclose, any conflicts of interest, and we also want to make sure that we acknowledge our funders for this project. That would be the DOD, um, the CDMRP, SCI uh, research program, uh, as well as NIDLR, um, as, and their support via the SCI model systems. Okay. <clears throat> Our research team, we want to make sure we thank them first as well. Um, uh, well, you've met uh, my colleagues and I, uh, the, the investigators on the team. We also have uh, two uh, study coordinators who uh, helped us uh, gather data and manage the data and uh, crunch the data now, right? Uh, Ashley Quinn and Yashika E. Banks. Uh, they're right over here at the front. So we want to thank them for all their work on the project. And we have um, three main objectives for our conversation with you today. Um, our talk with you today is one is to describe the reasons veterans seek their um, SCI care from uh, VA SCID SCIMS centers uh, exclusively or both system both healthcare systems together. Uh, oops, sorry, wrong. <laughs> as well as describe um, SCI clinicians' perspectives about coordinating rehabilitative care across VA and, S and SCIMS uh, settings. And we also want to share some recommendations from the voices of our veterans and clinicians about some best ways to uh, promote collaborative care across these two healthcare systems. I'm going to turn it over now to my colleague. There you go. Good afternoon, all. My name is Carol Gill, as I was introduced by um, Jean, and it's a pleasure to be here. We just changed seats so that we are not blocking the view of the slides, so please forgive us for the shifting. All right. Um, so, basically, I'm going to give a, a little bit of a background about some um, SEI and just um, how the process works within the VA system. And as the slide says, SEI, uh, spinal cord injury, was a very common war-related injury. And um, the SEI world has learned a lot from the military and just how to manage SEI um, in, this, um, in, in general. Now we have um, about 11% of the injuries that occurred in OIF and OEF um, military uh, veterans are spinal cord injury, okay? And then um, approximately 10 to 15% of our veterans that we care for within the VHA um, are sustained the injury after the military service. The primary goals of spinal cord injury rehabilitation, as we all know, because this is what we do every day, our goals are to restore function as well as reduce secondary complications, as well as promote health and independence, quality of life for people living with spinal cord injury, and to decrease the burdens on their family caregivers. It's very important for us to remember that last piece because we know that caring for a patient, a person living with SEI, involves caring for the family as well. 
There are some gaps that we all know um, exist in providing care to uh, people living with spinal cord injury, and some of them are listed ab above. I will be speaking on the last, we will be speaking on the last two. Uh, the, some of the gaps, as you can read on the slides, that uh, exist are um, basically, you know, addressing the cost of living for people living with SEI, um, the secondary complications, home modifications, and a bunch of other things, as you can see on the slide. There is listed caregiver burden, um, which is huge in order for um, us to care for those patients with SEI. We have to understand that how it impacts the family caregivers and the family members because SEI doesn't occur or have an impact in a vacuum. It affects the person's whole sphere of influence. We are going to speak today about access to spinal cord injury care, and we're also going to speak on a topic that we, uh, that is very, very important, um, at least for us who work for the VA and um, for our, our um, collaborator, Dr. Fife, and this institution, because we work so closely together is the coordination of care between the Veteran Health Administration and the private sector. Okay, there is there's, there are some issues that we need to um, look at in our attempt as SEI specialists to really make sure that the care we provide to the veterans is seamless. I'll tell you, I've been charged to talk to you about what the VA healthcare SEI system is all about. The Veterans Health Administration is uh, committed to providing care to people living with SCI. And um, as we said, you know, we, we learned a lot about spinal injury from the military because our veterans were coming home from war, World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War with spinal injury. I'm proud to say that lessons learned from those previous wars have prepared us to prevent spinal cord injury in our newer um, military um, uh, folks. So what we found is that we get more traumatic brain injury because we've learned to protect the spinal cord. So the gears that the soldiers will wear protects the spinal cord. So we see a lot of blast injuries, amputee, and traumatic brain injuries. So back to VHA. So like I said, we're committed to caring for spinal cord injury um, and veterans who are living with spinal cord injury. Approximately 42,000 veterans with spinal cord injury are eligible to um, receive care from the VA. And the VA, in its wisdom, has done something that is impressive. The VA has developed what's called the hop and spoke manner uh, um, process, uh, method, model of care. And the VA actually is the largest, single most um, healthcare system that provides um, spinal cord injury care um, in the nation. And so in order to meet the needs of our veterans, which is our priority, we um, had to develop a, a hop and spokes model. And the slide over uh, up there points to you just how it's set up. So looking at the demographics, looking at geography, the VA has said certain places, certain states will have uh, a spinal cord injury center. And that center, it will be the hub where all invasive procedures take, uh, uh, occur, where the SEI veterans' care will be centralized. Um, now, realistically speaking, the veterans don't live right next to the center. So we have VA facilities within the different adjoining states or region who have been designated as spoke sites. And those basically are people who are designated to kind of oversee the care of those veterans living in the areas. But those veterans, um, 
care get filtered into the center. In New Jersey, we are the Spinal Cord Injury Center. We are the hub. And so we are responsible for all veterans living with spinal cord injury in all of New Jersey and all of Eastern Pennsylvania. With that said, we get veterans coming to us from four different VAs in Pennsylvania as well as Northern Delaware. They, they opt to come to us instead of going down to Virginia, which is their center, because of proximity. So within this VA system of care, the VA has developed a comprehensive method. So we do everything. We are responsible for the veteran on this continuum. So basically, our challenge is to help the SC veterans living with SCI live well, to support their caregivers, and we also help the veterans die well, die with dignity. So we have them on the whole continuum. So basically, we provide to them, and I do, in this SCI center, I enjoy and the whole team that we have, we have an interdisciplinary team of SCI specialists. We provide care on the inpatient ward. We provide all their rehab needs. We provide primary care. We provide home care, home-based care. We go to their homes. We provide care using technology. We have a very huge virtual care technology program. We provide care to them that way. We provide caregiver support because of a caregiver's program. We provide home modifications, equipment needs, and everything the veteran needs, the VA has the responsibility to provide those needs. However, we all know that based on geography and based on proximity to care and just lack of knowledge or more knowledge, whatever it is. There are also an unknown number of veterans who, who are living with SEI who have never used a VA. Okay, there are some we don't know of. And we do know that some of those veterans also go to other SEI experts to get their care, which is, is great because we know that people living with spinal cord injury have to be receiving care from people who understand spinal cord injury and the issues that arise. So we are aware that there are some veterans who are eligible who do not come to the SEI center at the VA. And I'm going to have Dr. Five come up and talk about the um, spinal cord injury um, model systems because that will um, we will cover the other aspect. Now, the reason we have that slide, which we should have changed, we didn't change that slide. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to speak to it since it's there, but we're going to reposition that slide. But anyway, we are not naive to think that um, people with SEI are getting all of the care from the model systems and if the veterans from the VA. We know that there is a group of people, that's where the X comes in, who are not getting the care from either the model systems or the VA if they are veterans. And so it is our opportunity, it's our responsibility as SCI specialists to make sure that we think more creatively as to how we are going to make sure that everybody living with spinal cord injury gets the care, some aspect of the care from SCI specialists. And so with that, I will turn this over to Dr. Fife, who will speak to us about the model systems in the non-VA system of care. Thank you.
Okay, thanks, Dr. Gill. So the SCI Model System Center, as you know, um, you know Kessler has been uh, funded as an SCI Model System Center since 1990, and there are approximately 14. Uh, approximately, there are 14 SCI Model System Centers of Care uh, throughout the United States, and um, that have been funded through NIDLER, and. Our model systems, the New Jersey, Northern New Jersey, sorry, SCI model systems, uh, is a cooperative between uh, Kessler Foundation, KIR, um, the Rutgers New Jersey Medical School, and uh, University Hospital. And I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to, preaching to the choir here, but at least just so we're all on the same page, we all know that the, New, uh, the Northern New Jersey SCI model systems at least provides comprehensive, uh, concert, comprehensive continuum of care, as well as providing, um, as well as conducting research. So it's a program of care that uh, in, in, includes um, it's state-of-the-art clinical care, right, from acute trauma throughout uh, the lifespan of, of uh, individuals living with spinal cord injury. Um, a part of the model systems, too, is uh, including um, individual or innovative research, an in innovative research project. And so we have, um, we take, we take a look at long-term outcomes of individuals living with spinal cord injury. So we have our team, our spinal cord injury research team, who's over at KIR recruiting uh, participants from the time of uh, acute rehab, and we follow them up at one year, five year, 10 year, 15. And I think we have a 30 year participant in, in our SEI model systems as well here. We, uh, and our SEI model systems all are required to have a demonstration project, um, and we have one um, as well going on right now, um, a bladder project. Project, um, that uh, Trevor Dyson Hudson is leading uh, with Dr. Linzenmeyer. Uh, and we also, you know, Gene leads the dissemination piece. And uh, taking a look at long-term follow-up and trends in SCI, we have Dr. Ba Amanda Botticello, right, on our team who leads that aspect of the project here at um, Kessler. So in terms of veterans' use of healthcare systems, so we, we talked about the VA. Some veterans, we have about, when we take a look at the model systems, we have about 8% of, of um, participants in the model systems who self-identify as a veteran. We know that our veterans have uh, an opportunity to either, you know, obtain their, their um, healthcare or SEI care at the VA. They, some obtain it here. Right, at Kessler or at an, uh, at an SCI model system site throughout, that's offered throughout the country. And then we also know that some veterans may use both systems of care. But what we don't know is why, some vet why pet veterans make these choices, right, in terms of their health care or their SCI care, in terms of seeking care at either a VA, SCI center, the other portion, that X, we don't really know in this project, and that really wasn't a part of the agenda for the project. It is for another project, but um, so, and um, we're also, we also know that for those veterans who are dual users, right, using both systems of care, we know that there's an increased need to coordinate care across SCI model system sites and the VA site. So we wanted to understand what's involved in that, and so that's, so we had an opportunity to talk to our SCI clinicians to talk about the best way to coordinate care across SCIM centers and a VA center. And I'm sorry, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking out of order, but we are also interested in understanding why um, veterans' um, reasons for seeking care, their SCI care, either from the VA, um, SCIMs, or both. So what do we do? 
We were funded to conduct interviews and focus groups. Um, so we conducted interviews with our veterans and focus group with our clinicians that I'll talk about a little bit later. So we recruited 69 uh, veterans from both sites. It was a collaborative project at, uh, the, at VA NJHCS, uh, VA New Jersey Healthcare System, uh, as well as here at Kessler, right? And, and the SCI model system site here. We had, um, like I said, 69 veterans who were a little bit older in age, about an, an average about 60 years of age. 60% uh, uh, of them were, were non-Hispanic white, self-identified as non-Hispanic white. Half, about half of them were identified or mentioned that they were married, reported that they were married. Um, higher level of education, about 80% of them saying that they had about some, said some level of college education. Uh, and in terms of income, we have a quarter of them reporting that they were um, their household income was a range of 25000 to 49000 In terms of their SCI status, so um, it was more of a chronic, chronic SCI population, uh, on average about uh, 15 years post-injury, and the majority of them were injured uh, after military duty, and uh, just over half self-reported uh, living with paraplegia. Uh, in terms of their veteran he history, we have just over a third who served in the Army, and primary and about um, just 30, around 30 percent or around a third who served in Vietnam. So even again, that older group uh, of, of veterans uh, that were a part of our, our uh, sample. And in terms of rank, they, when they served, they were serving at one of the lowest ranks in terms of E1 to E4. All right. About two thirds of them. Right. So when we asked the veterans in these interviews about the primary, their primary source of health care, we had about 52% of them who self-reported that they only use the VA uh, for their health care. And then uh, about 21% reported using uh, private sector SKIMS uh, site, potentially. Um, and then about uh, just over a quarter reporting that they use both um, VA and private sector for their uh, SCI care. And, what, and so we asked them, well, why? <laughs> we didn't just say it like that, why? But uh, we said, well, you know, can you tell us what, you know, why you, may, you, know, why you decided to you know, um, use either the VA skims or uh, both for your care? So um, some reasons for either decision, um, for any of those decisions, was a misperceptions about the VA health care and their eligibility to, um, uh, for VA health care. Some veterans believe that um, they weren't eligible for VA health care, um, and my colleague Joyce Williams will speak to that in just a second, but um, they didn't believe, because of either the time that they served or how long they served or some reason like that. Um, and particularly when they had private insurance. Well, I have primary insurance. Why would I need the VA kind of thing was a question that they they asked during the interview. Um, in addition, we had some um, uh, veterans who reported lack of information about they didn't even know what kind of services the VA, their knowledge about the VA and the kind of services and the resources that they could offer them um, while living with a spinal cord injury was um they had minimal to none, um, some, some, some of the veterans. And then we also had some veterans who talked about, well, how would I, how would I balance you know, my care? Uh, I, I have private insurance, so how would I balance it um, with the private sector um, and the VA? Or can I do that? Or I don't know what I can do kind of thing. There were some questions. A lot of questions were asked. We raised a lot of questions, which is a good thing. I think research is supposed to do that, right? So, um, and we had, we just wanted to share some examples of some of the uh, quotes from some 
of our participants who initially were just going to talk a little bit about um, part, uh, veterans who either use the VA or the SKIM sites and just talk about some of the re, um, sharing some of their narrative uh, with you. So we had some veterans, uh, well this veteran um, at the top uh, was talking about feeling that he was a, you know, he was a high, at the VA he felt like he was a higher priority. Sorry, I'm moving around in the mic, it's not moving with me. Um, he was a higher priority and um, feeling that there was a timeliness to his appointments uh, at the VA. So in the private sector, I guess he had experienced that, you know, if he had a medical issue, his private sector doctors will, you know, say, we'll come in three or four months. But, you know, he's like, I need them right now kind of thing. So and at the VA, he was able to get it was quick turnaround in terms of um, time to um, uh, see a doctor uh, for his medical care. Um, this uh, second veteran, I don't even know, I don't know if there's a pointer, but in the middle section there, um, we have uh, this veteran talking about, he has Medicare, right? But he says that he actually feels more comfortable using the VA, right? They really understand him. They've known him a little bit longer. They know his history, right? And they understand him a little bit better. And also, the other thing that he mentioned, what I thought was interesting though too, he was talking about the VA being sort of that one-stop shop, right? Where he can see all of the doctors that he needs. One of the things he mentioned, he's like, I don't want to go all over New Jersey. He was talking about fragmented care, really. The fact that you have to go to a number of different doctors in places, but the VA can get everyone in one facility uh, to meet his needs. The other thing that come, the other theme that came up, or um, reason that uh, veterans noted that they preferred the VA. <laughs> Thanks, Gene. Okay, now you can really hear me. Yeah, okay. Um, is in terms of um, accessibility to, their access to uh, wheelchairs, uh, any kind of equipment that they need, uh, that this was a recurring thing that definitely came up in um, our, the voices of, from the voices of our veterans about accessing hand controls, whatever they needed for their house, for their cars, um, yeah, anything in terms of their functional independence in their homes, those kinds of, of, of equipment and modifications, the VA made that accessible to them. Ooh. Okay, <laughs> down we go. <laughs> So in terms of veterans who primarily use the skims for their, um, uh, for their health care, uh, it was interesting. We had a sample uh, or a small sample of, of individuals who actually said, you know what, I didn't even, I didn't even remember that I was a veteran, right? <laughs> it was just, it happened so long ago. Again, we're talking to an older group of veterans, right? And it was like it was a blip on the screen that they, that they didn't even remember after their uh, spinal cord injury to even mention it. Right? So there, that, there was that recall. Then, you know, in terms of uh, the types of medicine that this, uh, the, in the middle, we have this veteran who was talking about the kind of medicines that he was offered at the VA weren't the kind that he thought, that, you know, that he, um, he preferred. Um, and so he preferred, you know, using private sector so that he could access certain medications. Dr. Gill can speak to medications, uh, prescriptions <laughs> at, at the VA and what they can do about that. <laughs> There's more to that story. Um, and then we, you know, I think we, the other thing that we also, um, that there's sentiment that was expressed by our veterans, so too, was in terms of, you know, a bad reputation of the VA, to be honest with it, it was where, is what came up. And that, you know, and that it is a government organization, and so, you know, with that comes, 
you know, too much red tape. I'm just going to use the um, the veterans' words. And in terms of, I guess this this veteran had a different experience in that he found that it was hard to get to access um, doctors in a timely manner to uh, meet his needs, his healthcare needs. So. Um, and then we also had an opportunity to talk to SCI clinicians, both here and at VANJ at HCS, about uh, their healthcare delivery and coordination of care across um, SCIM sites and uh, the VA. And so um, we have, uh, you know, primarily female uh, clinicians were in the focus group uh, in their mid-40s on average, and um, Half self-identified as non-Hispanic white, and two-thirds reported that they were married. What was what was great was that we had a really with the the clinical experience of the, both focus group mirrored one another very nicely uh, across both settings. And then um, in terms of uh, years practicing in their current position, we had you know a, a, a few less years on the VA side uh, in comparison to the Kessler side, right? So that's just some of the demographics of the people in the room uh, for the focus groups. But we were talking to them about coordinating care, like I said, across both sites. So let's first talk about the um, some of the voices of the clinicians at the SCIM sites. Um, so here we're what we found was that clinicians spoke a lot about you know identifying veterans. Having an opportunity to identify veterans was lacking uh, at, at the SCIM sites. So you know we don't have a good tracking system uh, or good system for tracking veterans, um, identifying, identifying them came up and, um, at, any, at any time point. But we're, and so we talked about recommendations, and Joyce is going to talk a little bit about what they shared, about how we can help with that, right? Um, there's more available to VA patients uh, that wouldn't be available for other people. So our, veteran, our, our clinicians uh, at the skin sites understood that the VA could provide resources that private, the private sector cannot. Right, and they saw that as, as definitely a bonus. Um, for some veterans, there's an inherent belief that the VA is not as good as private insurance. Like that was clear uh, from clinicians and the veterans, right? And we, we have some caregiver data too, but that's not a part of this um, presentation. Um, and that the family has to be on board, right? So one of the things that we were talking about in terms of coordinating care is what what are some of the facilitators to uh, successful um, coordination of care and having the family on board from the time of acute care is really key to help with that um, um, linking up with linking up to the VA definitely and again Joyce will speak more to that in terms of the um, VANJ, uh, the VA, <laughs> um, the, their clinicians understood right that in the private sector you're working under the clock of the insurance company whereas they are not and so, but they saw that, they were like, well, that's an opportunity for us, right? Knowing that they have an opportunity that, um, that the private sector is under a clock, but they have this sort of cushion from the VA. It's a nice opportunity for um, the private sector to build on. Um, letting veterans know that they can get uh, care across both sites. I think, again, going back to some of the misperceptions, can I, as a veteran who has private insurance, can I actually access, you know, care or resources from the VA? That question still, I, I think, I, you know, working through some of the um, misunderstandings or misperceptions or misconceptions about that um, is uh, uh, something that we, again, are, it's a part of our recommendations. Uh, the reputation of the VA needs to be improved, so that's, I mean, we're seeing that from all participants, um, all, you know, all um, 
from our veteran, from our veterans, from our clinicians at both sites, again, our caregivers, and having a good contact person. Again, that liaison person that you can connect with at both sites is also key to facilitate that, um, the coordination of care, right? And um, our, our contact person will be coming up in, in just a second. That's my intro for, for, for Joyce. Uh, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about how we can facilitate uh, the collaborative uh, care of our veterans who are living with SCI. Joyce? And our recommendations are based on... Good afternoon, everyone. And thank you, Denise. So um, based on, as Denise said, the research the words of the veterans as well as the clinicians, um, one of the key things that were identified was identifying veterans. And there's not really a clear system here about identifying veterans. And um, also figuring out, contacting the SCI coordinator about a potential patient early during the admission process. We created this flyer that each of you have right in front of you with three simple steps. First, you ask the veteran, the patient that you're with, all patients that you're with, are you a veteran? Sometimes, based on where they are clinically in their um, rehab, they may not be able to recall. So also getting the caregivers buy-in and asking the caregiver, are you aware if your loved one ever served? That may not be in the front of their mind, but speaking to the caregiver to their children may actually jog their memory. Now, if that is the case, do you have access to DD-214? In my experience, there's a lot of vets who doesn't understand that DD-214 is almost as important as their birth certificate, especially when it's to entering inside of the VA. So if they identify, I don't know where that is. I didn't know I would ever need it. I only served in the VA or in the military for two years. I threw that out. Then, you know, it gives us the time early on in their rehab to help them identify getting access to it because there is another process to getting the DD-214. And even if they say, um, I do have my DD-214 or I don't have my DD-214, it's still a good idea to reach out to me so that I could at least see if they're in our system already or um, reach out to the caregiver to provide them with more guidance. So, and then I would say me because I represent the VA New Jersey healthcare systems, but obviously if you have a patient from another site, you would be reaching out to their SCI center based on that map we showed you earlier. So why is it so important to identify veterans early on in their phase? I, definitely throughout our um, clinician um, focus group, we had identified, even clinically speaking, psychologically, you know, whether or not this person that you're with has had some trauma in the past or any medical um, comorbidities that may impact their medical care. So just for good clinical practice, it's a good idea to know where has this person been, what have they experienced in the past, and how can we use this full picture to provide them with care. In addition to that, as we talked about getting their form sorted out, it actually, sometimes they may already be in the VA system. Some of them may have been coming through the primary care and doesn't even realize that there's a spinal cord center. Why would they know there's a spinal cord center? They don't need those specialty services. But just checking in to see whether or not they are veterans, giving us a call, checking it out so that we can see, number one, are they already registered and they don't know that these services exist or you know they don't know that these, they are not registered, but so let's get them enrolled. I've encountered a lot of veterans, and I'm speaking fast because I know that people have to head on out. I've encountered a lot of veterans who said, I tried to enroll five years ago, and I was told I, I wasn't eligible. 
Spinal cord injury really has a special place within the VA healthcare system. And even if they would not have qualified previously for veteran benefits, by default of having this catastrophic disability, it changes the game completely. It opens up a brand new world to them that they did not know existed. So some of the things that would have made them not eligible actually changes. And they don't know that because they were told five years ago when they were able-bodied, when they were working and had private insurance, that they weren't eligible. But with the spinal cord condition, the cost of living with this injury, it's really important to screen them for that because, like I said, this is life-changing. And it also allows for the SCI coordinator, myself, namely, so close to you to be able to come up and meet with the veteran in person. A lot of times we see what the media talks about, but they don't know the VA. The VA is this very big government agency with too much bureaucracy and they want nothing to do with it. It's foreign to them. So being able to meet a representative, a person who can speak to what they're going through, a lot of their misconceptions and really at this really early phase of their rehab where they're just overwhelmed with understanding their medical condition, but to be able to speak to this is how the VA can help. I would say with all of our vets that we serve, those with ALS, those with MS and those with spinal cord, once they realize how the VA has created this very comprehensive system, most of the times they like want to break down in tears because they feel like, wow, my life is going to change. And this gives us that opportunity early on in their rehab to give them the motivation to continue to fight through therapy because they know there's a way out where they can live successfully. And it also gives us an opportunity to address some of their discharge needs and clinical needs early on. If you have a vet who may be eligible, say he is eligible, he's been getting all of his benefits, and we're talking about long-term care, possibly based on their VA benefits, we can explore different things for them that they may not have thought of previously because they don't know what the VA has to offer. We also have our seamless care program where we can do video clinical visits, where we could meet with them even while they're here and talk to them and discuss different options and um, identify what some of their clinical needs are, where caregivers are worried, who's going to help them get dressed, I have a full-time job, I can't do this, you know, we need to consider long-term care. So as we consider discharge planning, so remember, we're trying to identify them early on. It really helps with their rehab, their hope. It gives them motivation. Um, we can't change their physical condition, but we can give them this idea that a lot of patients are able to successfully live. I love to tell my vets in the 10 years that I've served, I can count on my hands how many patients I've put in long-term care nursing homes. I think that changes the perspective for them. So it's about improving the discharge process at the VA, we can do home evaluations. We send one of our therapists into the home. They do the evaluation, and they make recommendations. Does, is a ramp needed? Is a chair glide needed? Is a VPL needed? Is a Hoyer lift needed? We can start that even while they're here because we can get the, those, that ball rolling so that they don't have to stay in the hospital without the equipment they need. Um, the VA does the home modifications at no cost to the veteran, you know, um, so that's great. And also getting them the equipment they need, which we know that so many people talked about earlier. So the goal is really to reduce the gap and to help with the coordination so that throughout their care here or in a SKIMS facility and at the VA that they know that they're, never, they're not going to fall through the gaps and they're not going to not get something that they're eligible for. So just kind of in closing, um, some of the quotes from 
the veterans who are dual users, really, right? Because we're talking about best of both worlds. What did some of them say? So this guy, I, I know very closely because I was the one who came here. He said, insurance had me leave skims. And uh, believe me, I was simply not ready to leave. The VA put me up for another month. I think there should be something on there where if you're a veteran and you've taken and you're taken into skims, something immediately automatically alerts you to the VA. And so VA staff can come out there and interview you. That's that's my only beef, because I would have gone home with absolutely nothing. I would have gone home with the big ass clunker of a wheelchair that would have been a loner from uh, skims until after a month or two. I would have gotten an un Aluminum chair, which is not titanium, which I would have been happy with. And I would have had all, not have all the follow-up benefits like staying at the VA for a month, even though I wasn't ready to go home. So with this person, even though functionally he was ready, psychologically he wasn't. You know, he was really dealing with depression and, and actually coming to the VA and the fact that we were able to do driver's training before he left our doors. He didn't have to depend on his girlfriend getting him, being homebound, that he was able to have access to getting in and out of his house, really changed his story. You know, he went back to work. He's like a superstar and he comes here all the time. So he is an example of, you know, the best of both worlds. And just summarizing the second person, you know, he talked about, you know, not needing aftercare because he was able to get all the exercises and the care from the VA um, and that the benefits, one of the great benefits, I think everybody likes gadgets and toys at the wheelchairs, being able to have access to top of the line wheelchairs and feeling like he was a kid being blessed after Christmas. So um, you all have copies of this. I'm going to end on that note. But that's really the goal is to give our patients that we serve the best of both worlds. And really that st process starts with identifying who they are. I think that's really what um, the study really came out with. Thank you. For more information about Kessler Foundation, go to KesslerFoundation.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.